Hi, everyone. This is Wendy Kennedy. Welcome to the Entrepreneurial Podcast, where we showcase and celebrate entrepreneurial success. People doing innovative and amazing things to ignite entrepreneurs, innovation, and entrepreneurial thinking. everyone. Welcome. This is Wendy Kennedy. Thanks for stopping by for another episode of the Entrepreneurial Podcast. We've got another great conversation for you today. Tucked away in some of the smaller regions around the country are trailblazers quietly going about the work to transform their communities. And one of these people is Scott Korndike, the president of Tech Dayton in Ohio. I first met Scott in 2015 after he just joined Tech Dayton as their president. Scott has had many hats prior to taking on the role as president of Tech Dayton. He started out in biochemistry and thought he wanted to go to medical school, but instead he went to law school and became a patent attorney for a while before leaving to become an entrepreneur inside a Fortune 1000 company. He's also spent some time in the investment world working as a venture fund manager for a regional VC. And today, with this rich experience, he finds himself at the helm of Tech Dayton, leading his team and the broader community to stimulate and revitalize the entrepreneurial ecosystem. There's a lot of great insights in this conversation. For one, Scott talks about the relationship he's built with the Air Force Research Labs to commercialize their technologies. And he's expanded that relationship beyond Dayton to Colorado and Washington, D.C. There's also the Arcade Project, a redevelopment of an iconic space in the heart of Dayton to serve as an entrepreneurial hub. So there's a lot of new and valuable ideas I'm sure you're going to enjoy hearing about. I should also say in full disclosure that Scott has made So What, Who Cares, Why You, the WKI Method, the foundation of their programs, and talks about this during our conversation. So thanks for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy this sit-down with Scott Korndike. Scott, welcome. It's so great to have you here. I'm super excited to talk about what's going on in Dayton. <laughs> oh, thank you, Wendy. It's great to be here. Um, you and I have known each other now for quite a number of years, uh, so I think that's going to play well in our conversation because um, we go back a long way. You are a builder extraordinaire in terms of taking something and just hitting the ground running and building this vibrant um, entrepreneurial community in Dayton. And I really wanted to just get the opportunity to let others hear this story because I think it is fascinating how quickly you and the team at Tech Dayton have been able to just transform your region. So super, super excited to have you here and um, can't wait to kind of dive into the details. So well, again, thank you for having me, Wendy. Um, you know, you've been a huge part of that evolution. You've given us uh, a lot of uh, a lot of great tools and a lot of energy and a lot of great insight. Um, so we appreciate your help as we've kind of been walking this journey. Great, great. Okay, so maybe, uh, you know, probably lots of people here, they're going to listen that um, haven't had the opportunity to meet you. So probably good to just start with a little background and let folks know kind of where you come from and how you ended up doing what you're doing. Sure, absolutely. Well, I've always been a science guy, right? I was always fascinated by science and more specifically sort of chemistry, biochemistry. So I do have an undergrad degree from a kind of a small school in Western Michigan, Hope College. 
I got a chance to do research very early on in my undergrad career and, and just, um, you know, that, that kind of spoke to me, honestly, it really called me that research kind of called me, thought I'd go to medical school and ultimately, uh, decided not to go to medical school. But as sometimes happens, you know, you kind of meet these people who are influential in your life. And I had an advisor who talked about intellectual property law and how you could sort of shape, um, the technology development and, and really have a hand in developing, cutting-edge technologies through the protection of those technologies. And so ultimately, I'm actually a registered patent attorney, um, practiced for a fairly short period of time, um, and, and candidly, didn't really enjoy writing patents, uh, loved <laughs> understanding technology and understanding how technology was moving into business. Um, but you know, for those of you in the audience, and certainly you, Wendy, who, who get a chance to look at intellectual property, Patents are not exactly scintillating reading, obviously, <laughs> um, and they're probably even worse to write, to be truthful with you, although I love, you know, love my patent law um, peers and colleagues, but they're, you know, they're dense, they're, they're tough sometimes mm-hmm. to sort of get excited about. So I had a chance to go into industry. I had a chance to work for a major uh, multinational corporation, Reed Elsevier, which is a British and a Dutch conglomerate. Um, and I got a chance to go into what was then called business development, which for, you know, for everybody listening, it would be sort of mergers, acquisitions, alliances, intellectual property, and kind of uh, the, the portfolio development. And while there, uh, the corporation, as many corporations did and do, formed a venture organization. And I had a chance to participate in uh, standing up, acquiring, integrating a number of companies, so mm-hmm. got to be kind of an entrepreneur, yeah. um, and really that's where kind of the entrepreneurial bug really hit me, uh, and I had a chance to do that for a number of years, uh, and then really candidly felt the calling of uh, going into an organization that you could have a little bit more impact on, a little bit smaller organization, uh, and had a chance to join a venture capital organization, a regional venture capital organization here in town, in Dayton. Um, I ran that venture organization for about three years, um, had about a $25 million venture fund, uh, a really fascinating uh, process, a uh, set of funds that the state of Ohio uh, supports. It's called the Third Frontier uh, Program or Third Frontier Commission Program in the state of Ohio. Um, and so I had a chance to act as a, as a VC, I really make investments, pre-seed and seed level investments in corporations um, and really just, you know, kind of felt the opportunity, saw the opportunity to really transform the nature of the entrepreneurial community in Dayton. And the best way for me to do that was to, you know, kind of grow uh, the organization that I currently lead, the Entrepreneur Center, which has been around for 20 years. It's not an organization that is new by any stretch of the imagination. I started leading it in 2000 and late 2015. Uh, and we're, we're sort of this great uh, entrepreneurial development, commercialization engine, um, which has grown pretty significantly, and I will talk about that, but uh, really having a chance to, to make a major impact on the commercialization culture and the entrepreneurial culture in the community. It's, uh, it's always so great to me. Thanks for that, because it's always so great, um, and I'm sure for others, too, that are listening, you know, to listen to people talk about their path and their, their journey and where they started and where they are now, because, you know, we're in the... Uh, college graduation uh, time of year and as you listen to the commencement addresses and that's the advice people give right is just get on your path and get going because you're going to take many different twists and turns and you're on the path you're supposed to be on so look at how 
um, your background brought you through so many important learning experiences to arrive where you are today. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Well, yeah, I, I once did a uh, uh, had a discussion with somebody, and they asked me to give my background, and I, I talked about my background, and he jokingly said, "Well, man, you're kind of young to have failed that many times." <laughs> and, and I. I loved that joke because, or that, you know, that little sort of punchline because, you know, did I fail at those things? Of course not. Um, I I choose to believe that all of us are at some level, you know, successful as we sort of navigate our way through. You're right to say I am right where I have meant to be. I couldn't have told you that when I was in law school. I couldn't have told you that when I was writing patents at, you know, two o'clock in the morning here in Dayton, Ohio, thinking, man, what am I doing with my life, right? (laughs) And frankly, I couldn't have told you that when I started the journey with the Air Force or I started the journey even with tech. You don't know. Yeah. But you're on the path you're supposed to be on, that's for sure. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, just the as people start to hear a little bit more of the details around uh, tech, um, the Entrepreneur Center um, in Dayton that you're leading, I think it'll become very clear to them how your path through your career has kind of set up for this kind of perfect collision of all these different activities to to really bolster the um, the entrepreneurial community in, in Dayton. So let's, um, let's just move on and try to, you know, um, provide that kind of color, uh, color commentary for everybody that's listening. So, sure. um, so Tech Dayton, you know, we, we use the short form acronym, but the Entrepreneur Center in Dayton, um, just tell us a little bit. You you came there, when did you say, 2015? Yeah, 2000, late 2015, I became the president of the organization. As I said, it's been around for 20 years um, as a more traditional kind of incubator, a physical facility. We have 35,000 square feet in our, in our primary, uh, our sort of our headquarters location, uh, but a very traditional. And I mean that with great respect to incubators. Obviously, they, they play a really important role for us. And this is purely from a tech perspective. I think our our um, our kind of place in the ecosystem, we faltered a little bit in that we were very focused on kind of what happened inside the four walls of our building. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously, everybody listening to this know that when you're an incubator and you're thinking only about the companies that are inside your building and you're not trying to influence the larger entrepreneurial culture, that's not a great place to be. And so for tech, you know, really was an evolution from a traditional incubator to what we now say is a full service commercialization center. Uh, I I jokingly tell my team and people who interact with us, we have a tip jar, right? A swear jar. If you say the word incubator in front of us, you owe us a quarter, right? (laughs) We don't want to be an incubator. Um, although we certainly have incubation functions and believe deeply in the role of the incubation function, uh, we're really a commercialization center. Uh, we exist to help people commercialize technology. We help people um, on their entrepreneurial journey. And we've had this wonderful opportunity, which I know we'll talk about, to help the U.S. government, the federal government, the Air Force specifically, really do some remarkable things with their technology portfolio and the small the small. Um, the small businesses that they support. And frankly, Wendy, we've been a proud um, and, and loyal um, partner to you and, and a client of yours for what, greater than 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time yeah. um, that we've had a chance to work with you. Yeah, and and when we first started working together, as you said, it was more about um, clients that came to the incubator and the four walls, as you said, and, and nothing wrong with that. It was just nope. that was the starting point. Um, 
But I think what's happening now, excuse me, is, is very exciting in terms of, you know, and I think leadership is a large part of this. So hats off to you because this outward looking, um, focus to really look at the region and actually beyond as, as you'll talk about, um, but just to look outside and say, what can we influence and what can we help and how can we grow this region? And I think one of the things that, that you alluded to, which is your relationship with the U.S. government, specifically with the Air Force Research Lab in Dayton, I think is a real point of um, differentiation for the way that you've approached uh, commercialization and building mm-hmm. up the capabilities in Dayton. So let's do a bit of a deep dive on that, because I think people will be very interested in this collaboration. Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, the context for that is kind of what is the Air Force Research Laboratory. So we have a good fortune, you know, so the geographic uh, good fortune to be literally 20 minutes from the front gate, 15 minutes from the front gate of the U.S. Air Force Research Laboratories. So sitting just outside of Dayton, Ohio is Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. 36,000 people go to work every day at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. It's uh, the largest single-site employer in the state of Ohio. Headquartered within Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is a U.S. Air Force Research Laboratory. $5 billion of primary scientific research either goes on here in Dayton or is directed out of Dayton. So the headquarters of Air Force Research Laboratories is here. Five of the nine directorates are headquartered here, and directorates are sort of the technical directorate. So we have sensors directorate. We have the materials and manufacturing directorate here in Dayton. We have the aerospace systems directorate here in Dayton. So those directorates direct, as the name implies, kind of the, the research in a particular, very broad, but a, a particular vertical segment. So when you've got an engine like that in the backyard, spending $5 billion of taxpayer money every year doing primary research, that's a real opportunity and a real asset. But historically, our community has utterly failed to take advantage of that. We love having the Air Force here. We love what they bring to the community. The people are wonderful, very highly educated people, obviously a very significant um, facility. But the mission of the Air Force here in Dayton is to research Um, solutions to problems, right? Mm -hmm. And when those solutions just get put on the shelf, as they have for decades, um, that's not an economic advantage. It's not a technical benefit. There's really not a whole lot of value to that relationship or that that installation from a community perspective until you can unlock really that that um, the power of that relationship. And so we really set our minds very early on. In fact, it was my the very first strategic initiative we launched when when I joined the organization was how do we maximize the economic value for this community and, and frankly for the nation of that research? Doesn't do you any good as a country to do $5 billion of primary scientific research and have it go nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say nowhere, I say great respect to the Air Force. You know, It goes somewhere. The question is where does it go? Sometimes it goes on a shelf. Sometimes it goes to a prime contractor. But, you know, 350 plus 400 million dollars u.s dollars obviously but 400 million dollars is deployed for small businesses to do research those small businesses have the right to exploit that technology well if they're equipped and they think about that the right way and start thinking about the value that's been granted to them with that relationship and the use of federal dollars to do that research 
and really build the the foundation of a great company, a great technology company, that's really powerful, really powerful. Mm-hmm. So we very much set our mind to sort of cracking the code, if you will, with the Air Force and becoming a very meaningful partner as they sought to increase their impact and their commercialization outputs. And you know, it, it mustn't have been easy because this is a mammoth organization. And I think for a lot of people, you know, the question on their minds would be, you know, how did you start? Like, how did you chip away to where you are today with this great relationship? Um, you know, how, because you could get lost inside AFRL. Yeah, it, it is. It is a, it's a very significant organization in terms of size, obviously, in terms of complexity. You know, and frankly, the way they're established are to solve their, as I said earlier, sort of these vertical problems. So, there's not a lot of crosstalk between directorates. There's not a lot of transparency, not intentional, but you know these are, are sort of stovepiped institutions. So for us, Wendy, it was really understanding the client with that, which meant going to every opportunity we had to engage with leadership, engage with kind of understanding their objectives, understanding their desires, we were also really greatly helped by the fact that about the time we started pushing this vision of a commercialization entity and an engine that could align with them, they were also going through leadership transition. And I'm the first to say we've been wonderfully supported by and served by the leadership of the Air Force Research Laboratory. Mm-hmm. We've been fortunate to have three directors, uh, executive directors of the AFRL that have been very strong proponents of commercialization. We're fortunate to have incredible leadership within the small business office uh, that focuses on interacting with small businesses. Uh, We're very fortunate to have incredible leadership in the CIBR, Small Business Innovative Research Program Office. Uh, That's the the, uh, entity that employs all of these dollars, 400 plus million dollars each year, doing research with small businesses. So we've been very fortunate both to have great leadership at the Air Force, to have done our due diligence, to have prepared to meet them where they are, to understand customer deeply, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and I, I, you know this, Wendy, I've told you this, our approach to the Air Force was very much built around sort of assessing our own offering through the prism of the so what, who cares why you kind of methodology. So we went through our own so what, who cares why you kind of assessment? Uh, and we find ourselves now in the place where, you know, we're doing $4 million. We're a $4 million nonprofit now. Um, about 30% of that is from the U.S. Air Force, um, which is huge, right? Yeah, yeah. We started with this small little pilot program, and we've now morphed those pilot programs into four very meaningful um, sort of uh, accepted uh, kind of entrenched programs in the Air Force. Yeah, and I think that, that, that it's that program, you know, uh, some people call them products, but that, that programmatic side to this too that I think uh, is is um, intriguing for people is that, you know, making it real um, for the Air Force in terms of, you want to talk a little bit about the how you structured the, the offering for AFRL? Yeah, so for us, you know, it goes back to what was the off the Air Force's objective and what was valuable to them. Well, we knew that they were going through a bit of a changing in their own thinking. And instead of focusing purely on research outputs, they were looking for traction. 
Mm. I wouldn't necessarily say commercialization Mm. um, because they are not in the business of commercializing technologies. Thank goodness for the United States, they don't have a profit motive. They are not motivated by, you know, the next billion dollar technology. They're motivated by serving the warfighter. They're motivated by serving the men and women in uniform. So while they don't have a profit motive, they absolutely saw the benefit of adopting more innovative approaches to technology and problem solving. So the Air Force is adopting a lot of small business kind of thinking and innovative innovation driving kind of processes, not because they want to make a billion dollars on a technology. That's not their thing, but they care deeply about driving innovation, speed to innovation. Um, They want to find the very best technologies. They want to maintain a technology superiority. And so there's no way they're going to be able to do that as a fairly, well, very traditional, very large government entity. Mm -hmm. So for us, it was structuring our offering around how do we bring innovation, innovative thought, and how do we drive innovative thinking among fairly traditional scientists, mm. right? They yeah. do research every day. They're, all, they're, they're, they're 70% PhDs, right? Yeah. Um, they do research for a living. So how do you make them look like and think like an entrepreneur or an innovator more appropriately? And as I've told you before, for us, it was really about creating a vocabulary. These are not business people. They're not supposed to be business people. We needed them to step into the shoes of a business and think from an innovation perspective. How do I drive with space, with, with, with really pace and speed? How do I drive innovation? Because I want the very best solution to a technical problem. And so our offering, Wendy, was frankly all of that. Mm-hmm. It was all around how do you drive innovation and innovative thinking among some very traditional researchers and scientists. But what's really powerful about uh, the way you describe that and what you did is that you said you helped them learn a new vocabulary, but what you all did was you changed the way that you spoke about it as well. It's not not traditionally like you would speak to entrepreneurs. That's right. And talking about problem solving and driving innovation and the pace of innovation, and that's... That's powerful because that's speaking the language of the customer, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, and that and that and it transcends obviously, you know, not only our Air Force work, but it also has really helped us focus and sort of sharpen the work that we do with our entrepreneurs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, yes, you know, you want to build a great commercialization solution. Yes, you want to build a great company. Well, you don't exist in a world where you get to be perfect. You exist in a world where you've got to drive with a very significant level of speed, a solution that is not perfect, mm-hmm. um, but you can iterate, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's a, an entirely new thinking for the Air Force. That is an entirely new set of thinking for many people who do traditional research. Uh, and and I, you know, I remembered from the time when I spent time with you in Indianapolis, you know, being certified as, as a Wendy Kennedy coach. It, it was this vocabulary, right? What vocabulary are you bringing to scientists and researchers who don't necessarily think about value propositions yeah. and don't necessarily think about customers? And you think about the Air Force, the Air Force's customer is who? The Air Force's customer is the Air Force, right? right. And so how do you get a researcher and a scientist who has dedicated their life to, to building great technologies 
How do you get them to think about a customer? Well, why would I think about a customer? Well, you think about a customer because the faster your technology moves, the more likely it is that it's going to end up in the hands of a warfighter. And we as a country, and, and, and we believe, you know, us as a country, our allies, um, we, will, we will be safer and better off for it. How do you generate speed? You don't generate speed by using traditional government research processes. You generate speed by adapting to the way the world works and bringing other people into the discussion, specifically the venture organizations, the small businesses, um, the, the commercial customer that can take a look at something you developed within the Air Force and say, you know, I could use that in a hospital. I could use that in my business. I could use that in a, as a first responder, as a police officer, as a, as a fireman, as a whatever. Um, I can deploy that solution in a way maybe the Air Force didn't anticipate, but I can move it a lot faster than the Air Force. And then, lo and behold, it gets right back in the hands of the Air Force, the warfighter. Right, right. That's that's cool. That's really and that's very compelling. I think for a lot of people who will be listening is just that whole acceleration of vocabulary, then acceleration and the emphasis on speed. And and I think you know, am I wrong? I believe that this whole new thinking for the Air Force um, has kind of extended out too, right? Because I think when I visited you a couple of years ago, did they not have like a um, an entrepreneurial hub in downtown yep. Dayton? Actually, in partnership with us, Wendy, yeah, they, they sure do. Um, so the Air Force, uh, about three years ago, uh, I had the good fortune the executive director, and the executive director said, you know, what we do on the base is really important, but we need to bring the very best minds to some of these challenges. We need our people, the scientists, researchers, engineers at the Air Force, to get out into the community and then there's some very tactical challenges. When you're inside a government facility, you can't utilize some of the internet communication and research channels. Mm. You can't go to some websites. You can't use some technologies for good and valid reasons, right? And so doing kind of integrated work with commercialization peers is difficult in the context of sort of the on-base environment. So the executive director said, I, I want to have a space off of the base. I want a space outside of the base and I want to appeal to the kind of scientists, researchers, engineers that we want to bring into the Air Force, meaning younger scientists, researchers, engineers who probably want more of a urban uh, environment. Yes. Right? Because look, half of the Air Force research lab retires in the next three years, right? That's a statistic uh, that they will they will toss out, you know, very significantly. This is a this is an older workforce how do you get the youngest, the best and the brightest who have options to go to the coasts or to Silicon right. Valley or Austin or wherever, Chicago, Toronto, right? wherever they want to go, right? How do you get them to pay attention to the U.S. Air Force if it's a traditional organization that's not going to give them growth and development opportunities? So the executive director said, I want a space outside of the base. And so we jointly uh, created what we call 444. That's the address, 444 E 2nd Street. We created a 12,000-foot uh, open kind of co-working facility uh, where they bring their scientists, their researchers. We bring our startups and our programming and the like. Um, and it's been remarkable to see that development uh, and that interaction. We've got companies that took Air Force Technologies, started as co-working tenants in our co-working facility, and now have graduated and are doing many millions of dollars worth of revenue 
uh, using Air Force technologies. They've moved to different facilities um, because they've grown outside of those uh, those spaces that we dedicated for that kind of interaction. So the model is working, and the Air Force is, frankly, Wendy, doubling down. They're going to expand that facility here in the next uh, two or three months because it's worked for them. Yeah, and it's for, you know, just to give people a little color commentary, when we walked into that facility that day, I was blown away. It looked like something from the West Coast. Um, and the right. way people were, it was so open. Um, it was, you know, so full of whiteboards and people. So there was so much energy in that. It was remarkable to me when you, you know, I just don't envision federal labs behaving that way. And it was so remarkable to see and just to feel like people just, you know, so engaged and working together and, and so, I mean, it's definitely doing what, what it was intended to do for sure. Well, it's given us, it's given us, Wendy, a window into what the Air Force is doing because the Air Force does these technical sprints. The Air Force uh, brings multinational partners um, from Canada and from the UK and from Israel and from all of our allies. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. coming in and they're doing these technology sprints with the Air Force. Um, we've been exposed to and have seen sort of the direction that the Air Force is going firsthand. I mean, they're literally sitting next to us in these shared spaces. And so um, it really has worked, I think, quite well. And it's really solidified, in a lot of ways, the dedication that the Air Force and the AFRL feels to sort of the urban core. We're, we're right downtown. Yeah. And, you know, it's there's so many things we could talk about with this, but I'm going to just get you to just just talk a little bit um, in the same theme uh, with AFRL, um, but before we move on to all the other great things you're doing, I know there's going to be people who are um, big supporters of SBIR programs in their communities, and I just mm-hmm. want you to talk a little bit about the impact that you've been able to have with SBIR Phase 1 and Phase 2, um, because I think that, you know, again, you've done some unique things there. And, and anyways, I don't want to take away from your thunder, but just in terms of some of the impacts and results you've been able to achieve with that. Yeah. Well, it goes back to 2015, Wendy, the very first time I talked to you about kind of the Air Force. My vision and my hope was that we could align with these small businesses that are getting, you know, typically a phase one research contract from the Air Force is $150,000. So it's not a lot of money to move a technology forward, but it sure is enough money to get a sense of, you know, is there something here, something that if I really think from a commercial perspective, can I get enough insight to know that if I can figure this out, if I can build a technology, are we going to have the opportunity to commercialize it and maybe make it part of a, a great business? So our vision was to and our very first program we ran the Air Force is a program called CyberTAP, Small Business Innovative Research Technology Acceleration Program. I never claimed to be a marketing person, by the way. Uh, terrible, terrible names. But the CyberTAP program is all around aligning with Phase 1 Cyber recipients. It is walking them through the Wendy Kennedy process, the So What, Who Cares, Why You process. We do that over the course of – historically, we've done it over the course of about four to six weeks – um, our current version of that is we have these uh, scientists and engineers for three days straight, uh, and we use your tool set to really begin to understand the business value inside that innovation, right? That's yeah. straight from from your playbook. In fact, we we frame that question as the central opportunity for us when we when we spend time with these teams 
can you identify the business value inside your innovation? And so these small businesses are walking away with a much better sense of what the commercial potential and what the long-term potential of this technology is. Now, the Air Force cares about that, about all of that for this reason. A phase two application, which is up to a million and a half dollars, and now even more than that, but up to a million and a half dollars traditionally, the Air Force wants to see meaningful commercialization plans. used to be that firms could sort of dash off a paragraph and nobody really paid attention because the Air Force didn't really care if you commercialized it. That's not the point, right? Mm. Well, the Air Force cares now. The Air Force wants to know that you actually are thinking about commercialization of technology because it's going to get in the hands of the warfighter faster, right? Ah, uh, yes. So for us, the 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 metric that we're measured against and that we frankly, you know, told the Air Force to measure us against is how many people are coming out of your phase one program, our phase one program, and getting a phase two. Typically, that conversion rate is about 45 to 50 percent. So about half the people who get a phase one end up getting a phase two. If you go through our program, it's over 90 percent. Wow. And we lay that squarely at the, the, the feet of the process that we put people through. When you come out of the program, when do we have people who are in their phase two applications using the market fishbone and they're using the category map and they're oh, using cool. all these two absolutely i can i can show you examples of people who i've reviewed their phase two applications and and the final thing i will say wendy not to belabor it but we're also running very formal accelerators at the air force um, so very formal 10-week programs where we're taking generally eight to ten companies and putting through a very formal accelerator traditional accelerator program and we use the so what, who cares why you process as the heart of those programs as well. Uh -huh. So the tool set has really let us kind of um, create vocabularies with a lot of different clients, a lot of different customers. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. And I think that, you know, that's always you know, music to my ears is to hear just the flexibility and portability of the of the method to actually engage these types of folks. Um, but, but also just the results. I think um, the impact that you are having um, not just for yourselves in AFRL, but for the companies that are in phase one and phase two of this, um, of the SBIR, you know, and helping them to accelerate themselves faster to market, you know, there's the speed thing again, right? So, okay. So let's, um, let's, you know, flip everything over. Let's flip the coin over and let's kind of come back. Um, you know, such a, an amazing story with AFRL. I wanted to be sure that we had lots of time to really dive deep on that. But, you know, then there's the whole side of the work that you're doing just, you know, in a bigger picture to develop the region. And as you said at the start, you know, really looking outside the four walls mm -hmm. and looking, you know, you had um, the partnership with AFRL for 444, mm -hmm. um, which I think, you know, there in, in itself is a great example of just building community. But now, you know, we talk about um, the arcade and maybe I'll just... I won't say any more about it, but the art, I remember again when I was down visiting you driving through downtown Dayton and you took me by this very old, beautiful, architecturally um, established building in downtown Day Dayton that was vacant. And so I'll just kind of let you jump off of that and talk a little bit about what you're doing with the arcade and your whole vision mm -hmm. there. Yeah, well, thank you, Wendy. Um, so the arcade was built in 1902. It was the original sort of commercial hub 
for Dayton. So this is the open air market where people brought their goods and services and products to sell. Um, it was in a lot of ways, the commercial heart of the community in the early 1900s. Now, remember I said it was built in 1902, uh, Orville and Wilbur Wright were doing their work in 1903, right? Mm. So this is sort of the, the same kind of time frame that Dayton put itself on the map as an innovation, innovative community through the Wright brothers work with obviously man flight. So mm. it's got a, wow. it's got a resonance for us. It's got a resonance with kind of the culture of the community. So it is the arcade in total is about a million square feet of seven different buildings, which My were connected goodness. over time. But the heart of the arcade is a soaring rotunda, which is about uh, 85 feet tall, and it's about 80 feet across. It's this gorgeous three-story open-air rotunda, which is bisected by the arcade, which is nothing more than a fancy word for you know, this open-air promenade that connected city blocks back in the 1900s. Now, that's all been covered, and it's been, it's been enclosed, so you can use it in kind of any weather. But it is really, truly we often say the most emotional building in mm. Dayton, Ohio, and emotional because it had its heyday in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and then the economy started to change. People started to move away from the urban environment into the suburban environment, um, and that place closed in 1994 and has not been open to the public really ever since. So it's got this architectural resonance, this architectural significance, and like, you know, kind of an eyesore, it just sat empty. And there's been five or six different attempts by leadership in the community um, to, to kind of resurrect it. And we're very, very pleased and proud to have just recently announced that we, in partnership with the University of Dayton, um, are going to be uh, the, the sort of the anchor tenant in the redevelopment of that space. We're wow. going to take about 100,000 square feet and we are turning that into an innovation center. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. a lot of space. <laughs> it is a lot of space. Uh, yeah, especially for a guy who right now runs about 40,000 square feet. You know, we're, we're taking a big chunk of that space um, and turning it into this innovation center. So we're going to have co-working there, sort of a dedicated desk environment, small office space, um, venture programming, entrepreneurial programming, regional programming. Mm. And so what I'm most excited about in all of that, Wendy, and it goes to your question about kind of expanding the vision, what I'm most excited about that is Dayton, like many of your listeners' communities probably, we don't have a surplus of entrepreneurs. Hmm. Um, we are a great Midwestern town, um, Midwestern city. Uh, a lot of the entrepreneurs gravitate towards the Cincinnati's or the Columbus or the Cleveland's if you're going to be in Ohio and, and entrepreneurs are going to gravitate to even bigger cities nationally. So how do we build an entrepreneurial culture? Well, we got to kind of grow our own, right? Mm. Um, and so our relationship with the University of Dayton is an important one. The University of Dayton, the Karate Center for Entrepreneurial Development formally uh, is the entity that focuses on entrepreneurial development. That's a top 10 entrepreneurial undergrad entrepreneurial program in the country mm -hmm. um, so it is very well respected for the way it prepares entrepreneurs about 300 entrepreneurs minors and majors uh, in the program and for us our relationship with them means that if you are one of those entrepreneurial majors your classroom becomes the arcade uh -huh. the vision of the university is such that if you're an entrepreneurial major that will be your classroom you, your your school your university will be resident in the arcade uh -huh. so 
we have 300 entrepreneurial students who are going to be in our building every day wow. talking to our startups, working with our startups, interning with our startups. Well, with that kind Fantastic. of intellectual firepower, yeah. you append that to the experiential learning opportunities that we're going to provide these students. And then you start thinking about the venture community that's looking at these great AFRL technologies, the venture community that's looking at these great organic startups mm. that are popping up in the region. We really believe the arcade is going to be a very, very visible indication of the sort of resurgence of the renaissance within Dayton and really be a catalytic kind of space that lets us touch all kinds of different parts of the community, all kinds of different parts of the surrounding region. And, and we think nationally, frankly, um, we think it's going to be a model for some really interesting mixed-use kind of redevelopment, taking what would traditionally be a research institution and emplacing it right in the heart of downtown, appending directly through a joint venture, a formal legal joint venture, relationships with organizations like Tech and others, so we can bring resource and money and people and opportunity to this thing, this arcade, uh, and create an alchemy that I just, I, I don't see happening anywhere else. We're excited about it, obviously. Yeah, I can, you know, and part of the reason I wanted you to talk about this is not only is it just a great, um, if I can call this a great case study for people or a great, you know, role model for people, especially in some regions that are trying to do this, but it's just the passion that you have to talk about this and how it's, you know, it's really galvanizing so many players in your community to come together into this. And, and with the history, the rich history of the arcade, I think there's just so many great things that are happening with all the entities coming together um, under that roof. Well, let us, what it's let us do, Wendy, it sounds kind of hokey, but I, I mean it sincerely. You know, a physical place is a physical space, right? I mean, it's four walls and it's some doors and that's cool, right? And and certainly the arcade is going to be architecturally beautiful and dramatic and all that. But if all you do is put people in it and it doesn't create kind of its own environment and its own draw, it's just a space, right? Yeah. And so for us, the arcade represents a belief in and a confidence in our community. It represents a lot of hard work from tech and others you know, really kind of pull together all of these assets in what I would charitably call is sort of a distressed Midwestern community, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> every time you turn around, somebody is knocking Dayton and, and communities like ours um, as sort of cities that, that have been left behind or that cities that don't have really a vibrant future. And I got to say, you take those assets that we have, you take the resources that we have within the community, within AFRL, we take that leadership that's present, you put that together, uh, and we are absolutely confident that this can once again be a source of very significant intellectual property, technology, innovation, certainly regionally, but also nationally. Mm. It's more than just a physical space. A physical space is just bricks. It's the people, and it's the opportunity to interact with and create real extraordinary uh, value. Mm. That's what we're excited about. And it lets us reach into underserved parts of our community. It lets us reach into the veteran community. It lets us reach into our, you know, women and minority-owned business community. Four. Mm. That's not about a physical space. Yeah. That's about an energy, and that's about a commitment and a passion. That's what the arcade represents for us. 
Yeah. And I love that phrase, you know, the belief in and confidence in your community, because I think that's what's driving all of this excitement, right? And all of the people coming together is everybody's getting, you know, um, confidence that we can do this here. And I think that's a really great, um, takeaway, I think for people who listen to our conversation is that, you know, and, and one of the, you know, many reasons why I wanted people to hear you talk about, you know, just your story and about the story of tech Dayton over the last five years is because you can build a vibrant entrepreneurial community, you you know, like this anywhere. If you just start with looking at the assets of what you have in your community and how are you going to actually bring those assets together. And in every community, the assets may be different, but you know, there's, there's a starting point for this that can actually be the roots for something bigger and something that can have a profound impact, right? Whether it's South Texas or uh, North Dakota or Dayton, Ohio, I mean, we can do this, right? Absolutely. Thank you for that, Wendy. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. You know, I would say I'm not a, I was not born and raised in Ohio. Um, Ohio is not my quote unquote home, right? I, I was born in Michigan. And so I look around and I see what's going on in my, you know, home state. I look around, obviously what's going on in Dayton, in these er- various communities, there's no question that what we're doing in Dayton can be replicated over and over and over again. But I would say that, and, and I, I mean this, you know, not as a commercial for, for, for you, although it, 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 it is important for me to say you know, so much of what we've done here started what uh, started on and was built on the foundation of the process that you put in front of us and that we had the good fortune to begin working with you years ago on. You know, we think we're smart people. There's no question. We, we, we think we're we kind of know what we're doing, but we know what we're doing in part because we've systematized what we do around the so what who cares why you process. And yes, as you know, we've taken that in ways maybe that that you hadn't contemplated or we hadn't contemplated initially, but we're true to that process, right? Mm-hmm. If you can answer the question of, so what? You have an idea, but who ca- who cares about it and why do you think you're going to take it forward? That's the same question we ask ourselves as a community. Mm-hmm. That's the same question we ask the small businesses when we go and do the work with them with the Air Force. Frankly, that's the question we ask of ourselves when we went to the Air Force, as I said earlier in our discussion. So that, you can't understate the importance of the really the brilliance of that process and the questions that it forces you to ask and the visual kind of nature of those tools, we have just not had a conversation with anybody that when we brought that tool set out and we, we talked about sort of inherent in that tool set, what are you trying to get at that business value in your innovation, right? Mm-hmm. We haven't had a single conversation that hasn't been impacted in a positive way by that by that work Mm -hmm. and as i said earlier wendy we're four times the size uh, that we were three years ago i have 17 uh or 12 full-time people seven part-time people when i met you the first time we were three people (laughs) right um and and so nothing that we do is built on any other platform than yours so I have to say, I, I don't get a chance to say it enough to you that I appreciate, you know, your willingness to work with us and, and, and mentor us and coach us as we began to deploy these tools and then really become just a really important part of our strategy, an important part of the way we think about commercialization and innovation. 
you know, I've had the good fortune recently. I think you got a phone call earlier this week from somebody in Canada who wants to take Wendy Kennedy processes and put them in their company. Uh, that's to me just remarkable mm. uh, because I agree we can we can replicate what we do, but you got to replicate what we do using the right kind of tool sets, and you've provided that to us, so we we deeply appreciate that. Well, it's uh, for me, it's been great to just watch the story, you know, and watch the evolution and the growth and the impact that's happening and um and particularly in very deep science areas as you know that's my heartland and so to really watch um you all shine with that in dayton i think is uh it has been very rewarding for me so i thank you for that so well wendy so one thing i will say is i I will foot stomp what you just said so we have used your tool set on technologies ranging from ion spheres, or I'm sorry, uh, plasma spheres in the ionosphere, so plasma <laughs> disks in the ionosphere, to valve stems on um, C5 aircraft, oh, right? No. So a, a plasma disk in the ionosphere, which I am not entirely sure I know, <laughs> or you probably should know what the intention behind that technology was, all the way to a visual indicator on valve stems of C5 aircraft where there are 24 tires or something and it takes them 45 <laughs> minutes to check the pressure. They, uh, A small company in Montana developed a visual indicator of tire pressure so a maintenance technician can walk around the tires and see if they're inflated correctly. That all of those things, all of those developments have been facilitated using the same tool set. Um, so yeah, it doesn't only ad- advance science, uh, it's really all innovation that, that we've been able to facilitate. Oh, that's fantastic. Those are great examples. <laughs> um, so maybe now as we kind of, um, start to, uh, to wrap things up, anything mm-hmm. that you, you know, as you think about your journey over the last, you know, four to five years, is there any, uh, anything that stands out or any other lessons learned or tips that you'd like to kind of share with folks, um, you know, building this kind of community and, you know, what, you know, if you, if you were somewhere else starting from scratch, anything that you just want to reinforce? Well, I think two things probably, Wendy. The first is the power of connection. Everybody who's listening to us knows it. Um, but I had no reason to believe that I was going to meet this, you know, wonderful lady from Canada and (laughs) build the relationship we have. Uh, I have told you many times, you know, we deployed your tools and I, frankly, when the organization, when I took the organization over was skeptical, I was skeptical of the tool set because I hadn't seen its value. And I went to be certified because I was skeptical, right? I had no idea that on that I don't even remember when it was. I think it was the fall, if I'm not mistaken, the fall of of, uh, 2015 or something um, that I would have met you and met the other people in that cohort, right? And Mm -hmm. I've connected with and maintained connection with those folks. So the power of connection, the power of being open to those possibilities, it's trite and everybody says it, but it needs to be kind of reinforced. Um, There's a lot of people that are doing really remarkable work in this kind of innovation commercialization space. And we don't always get the big press of some of the West Coast and East Coast kind of accelerator incubators. And that press is deserved and and, and that's that's awesome. Um, But there's a lot of really great work that's happening in local hospitals and major hospital chains and major universities and minor universities and small entrepreneurial development organizations 
that is really powerful. And I have learned a tremendous amount and I hope to have been influential in supporting others, right? So Mm -hmm. maintain those really open connections. Second thing I would say is that I really believe that people like us, people who do what we do for a living, there is just no better time to be a commercialization professional, if we want to call it that, than right now. The power of connection, the power of the tool set, the increasing willingness of people to invest in early stage technology companies, um, the increasing willingness of corporations to understand the value of entrepreneurialism as a source of technology, a source of talent, a requirement as good corporate stewards to support in their own communities – that it puts us in a place where I think we can have very significant influence on community and culture. Um, and so you got to have confidence that what we do is really meaningful work. Uh, and, and really, again, without being hokey, we're changing lives, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're helping families and we're helping corporations and we're putting people on a path to kind of achieving their dreams. So mm-hmm. um, coaching, as you said to me the first time I met you, we don't consult, we coach. Coach is, a, is an apt term for what we do. We're proud to see kind of the development that we've unleashed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that uh, that's a great point for us to kind of just uh, uh, end on is, um, you know, we are, ch- we are changing lives. You are changing lives and you are built, you know, you're, everyone is building community and helping people to realize their dreams. I mean, I know that, uh, as you said, it sounds trite, but for someone who has a new idea and is just starting out and really needs that kind of step up, it's, uh, it it can have a profound impact on their future. So, um, I think it helps us to keep, um, pushing, you know, further and faster to try to, you know, really build up the support around these people and help them to grow. I think, uh, you know, that's, that's fun work for us, uh, but it's very, very meaningful work. So, Um, so, okay. Well, this brings us, I think, to the close of our conversation. I, um, you know, I, I always know that, uh, you'll never disappoint whenever it comes to talking <laughs> about these things. You're so passionate and just the strides and success, um, in the region that you and your team have had for the last four to five years. I mean, I'm so glad we got a chance to dive deep on this story. Um, if people want to reach you, Scott, where would be the best place that they could reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. They're welcome. And I would certainly uh, love to connect with people directly. So feel free to email me directly S Corndike. So that's S K O O R N D Y K at techdayton.com. That's T E C Dayton D A Y T O N.com. Um, that's probably the best way to get okay. a hold of me. Feel free to email me directly. I would love that. Well, Scott, thank you so, so much. It's been a real pleasure. Um, you know, I can't, can't hear this story enough. I, and I can't wait to see what the next three to four years are going to bring as well as the, as the region is just going to be bubbling with all this entrepreneurial activity. So, My pleasure, Wendy. Thank you for having me. Wasn't that a fabulous conversation with Scott Korndike, president of Tech Dayton in Ohio? What a great community builder and entrepreneur he is. It's exciting to see cities like his bubbling with entrepreneurial flavor and even more to see the federal labs, colleges, the local businesses and others rallying together to build the arcade into a hub for innovation. 
That's all for our conversation today, but I hope you'll subscribe to my blog at wendykennedy.com to be the first to hear the latest from the Entrepreneurial Podcast. Until next time, enjoy your journey.